Welcome to Darkness Dwells, episode 36. <laughs> I am your host, Jason White, and this week we have another awesome episode for you. First, uh, I am joined by the great horror author, Fiona Dodwell. Uh, she is the no- author of novels such as uh, The Banishing, The Obsessed, The Shift, Nails, uh, The Short Story, The Redwood Lodge Investigation, and the upcoming Juniper Shadow, which has the same release date as my novel, uh, The Haunted Country. But we will get into more of that later. Uh, Actually, let me tell you just a little bit more right now. Uh, We decided to team up with uh, Michael Bray and Albert uh, Kivek, who are also releasing uh, their book, The Void. And we're doing a release party on Boxing Day, a Facebook release party. Actually, it's it's kind of a, a Facebook Goodreads. Uh, launch party so uh, stay tuned later in the show I will get you more details about that so before we get into any of this though let me uh, tell you about our awesome sponsored audible.com audible.com if you go to www.audibletrial.com slash darkness dwells where you can sign up for a free membership uh, not a free membership, a free trial membership. Now, that free trial membership uh, gets you uh, one month uh, and a free audiobook. Uh, it's basically, it gives you the credit that you would get if you were a full-time member. And that credit a month after your free trial membership is approximately $15 a month. And that gets you the one credit, which gets you an audiobook a month. So, uh, I've been using this service for a long time, and I love it. I mean, <laughs> Audible has almost any uh, audiobook that's been created uh, since audiobooks started becoming a thing. Uh, they are a huge database uh, of uh, audiobooks. And uh, getting a f- uh, an audiobook for $15 a month, that's cheap. Uh if you are into audiobooks at all, you know that the physical copies are really expensive, uh, especially for the more popular stuff, and especially for the thick books, like really thick books, such as like George R. R. Martin uh, thick or uh, Stephen King's It kind of thick, uh, which both of which you can find you can find both those authors on there, and so yeah, getting it for even digital uh, is expensive. Uh, it's not very much less than the actual physical copy, and sometimes it's the same. So uh, $15 is a steal for one audiobook per month. And as a member, you also uh, you can also get uh, books audiobooks for cheaper uh, than the uh, listed price. So if you spent your credit on a book that you really like, you can and you don't have any more credits you can you have the option to buy more credits or you can just go and buy a book uh, some let's just say there's a book that costs forty dollars as a member you'd pay maybe something like twenty five dollars so that's not a direct quote on on that but it, it, that's an example so <laughs> definitely check out audible.com they are awesome and uh, my selection as a suggestion for this week while you're there checking out books for uh, for a free trial membership why don't you try Silver Screen Fiend and that's learning about life or sorry, Silver Screen Fiend learning about life from an addiction to film 
which sounds like all of us here. <laughs> now, this is written by Patton Oswalt, the, uh, the comedian, and it's narrated by Patton Oswalt. And its length is four hours and seven minutes of unabridged audiobook. Now, uh, if you're not familiar with Patton Oswalt, I highly recommend that you check him out. He's a funny guy. And uh, if you don't know who he is, I guarantee you, once you look him up and you see a picture of him, you'll be like, oh, it's that guy. He's been in a lot of movies, and he's always, uh, he, he's never like a lead role or anything, but but he's been around. <laughs> Let's just say that. And the fact that he uh, is a horror movie fiend that's awesome too so this is sort of like a uh, uh, a memoir I guess on uh, on his uh, time spent with watching old classic horror movies alright so moving on uh, we are going to now go into the news section and uh, we will be right back in two seconds but first here is a clip from uh, Patton Oswalt's uh, recent DVD uh, the DVD called My Weakness is Strong. This is uh, Patton Oswalt on depression. And I'm trying to improve my health and my outlook because of my daughter. But that's like 80% of the reason. The other 20% is because I sincerely believe in 20 years, society is going to collapse and we're going to be living in this weird, irradiated wasteland like in The Road Warrior. So in my head, I'm like, well, I'm clearly going to be being chased by mutants on motorcycles. I'm way, I can't run very fast, so I need to slim down. And we all know that motorcycle mutants are cannibals, so I'm just too much of a treat, right? I'm like a luau to those guys. I got to focus on stringy or I'm dead. By the way, that abiding belief in the coming road warrior wasteland is, that's the reason I tried to go off my meds. I take Prozac, and I tried to reduce my Prozac intake because I was like, well, I don't want to be out in the wasteland fat and depressed. Like, that's, there's not going to be any Prozac after the collapse. I'm going to end up chained to the front fender of the lead marauder's nitro truck, you know, with my ass hanging out. And he'll just use me as incentive for the other marauders to go out and bring gasoline back. Like, anyone brings back a gallon of gas can butt fuck the sad boy if anyone wants to get out there and get this thing done. Anyone? You get ten minutes with the sad boy. Isn't that right, sad boy? Like, I don't give a shit. Fine, I'll do it. It doesn't matter to me. It's all bullshit anyway. Yeah, Jimmy right in the dirt button, Mohawk. I don't care. My ass is like a tube of circus peanuts. I don't even feel it. I don't even feel it. I don't care. Gives a shit. Excuse me. So the uh, big news for me this week uh, is that I got to go see <laughs> I got to go see the Star Wars movie. I didn't think that I would be able to do that 
uh, until at least in the new year sometime because, uh, well, this movie is getting the shit played out of it and pretty much every every showing sells out. <laughs> I went to uh, an earlier morning uh, showing and uh, even that one sold out right at near the end. And uh, I was stuck uh, sitting between two people I didn't know, which is okay because <laughs> I got to see the new Star Wars film. And, you know, I'm not going to spoil it for anybody, but, you know, I heard that there's people, or at least there's one jackass who, uh, who came out of the theater and, uh, spoiled the movie for everyone waiting in line on purpose, uh, for the next viewing. Now, that's just a shitty thing to do, like, really. Somebody need. I mean, I'm not usually a violent person, but somebody needs to beat the shit out of that guy. <laughs> because, you know what, there is a lot to spoil in this movie, a lot happens. Um... It's a really good movie. Of course, there's some flaws. There's always going to be flaws in movies. But uh, the one th- I'll, I'll tell you one thing about this movie, and I, I told Michael this when I was talking to him on Facebook Messenger, and I don't think it's a spoiler at all. It's just really the feel of the movie. Um, the movie is sort, of, uh, is sort of like a return to the old movies. It has that Star Wars feeling to it that the newer ones uh, that everyone hates uh, lack. And they lack it hardcore, uh, but th- these uh, this new one um, it has that feeling. But what it does capture from uh, you know Star Wars uh, one to three, uh, the one that er- the ones that everyone hates, uh, it it manages to capture the action, uh, but it's all done intelligently. It's it's it, it's a lot of fun, and uh, even sometimes it feels a little realistic. Some of the battle scenes, so. Uh, like they don't go for pure like saving private ryan type <laughs> uh realism but you know it's a lot of fun regardless uh, and a little bit on the realism it, it, there's uh, they they tried to tone down the fantasy i think and and perhaps that's what happened with uh, episodes 1 to 5 or sorry 1 to 3 is that they were just a little too fantastic in, in their scope and their uh, their action. It was just ridiculous, some of the things that happened in those movies. Anyway, so yeah, if I, I, you know what, I'm also kind of shocked that there's people who are like, oh, I'm so sick of hearing about Star Wars. <laughs> Actually, I guess I could understand that, but I guess you have to be a fan of the movies to uh, understand. Alright, so moving on to uh, the news. Um, the Martyrs remake, uh, they released a new trailer recently. Now, this is the the French movie Martyrs, which Michael and I discussed on, on the show or, uh, previously. It's a very disturbing movie. I had trouble watching it. I had to turn it off for a little while and return to it the next day. But it's also a very fascinating film. Um, so, they're remaking it in America, which always... Uh, you know, Hollywood remaking... Something like this always makes you wonder what they're going to take out because, uh, well, Martyrs is a pretty extreme movie. So why is it, why is Hollywood remaking it and what are they going to keep? What are they going to throw away? Is it going to be as intense? I don't know. I guess that's part of the, the allure. We're going to have to go see and uh, and check it out. Now, if, if they are going to make it just as intense, I don't know if I'll be able to go to the theater to see it. I don't even know if it's going to the theaters, to be honest with you. It might be uh, straight to uh, straight to DVD and Blu-ray. I don't know. But uh, they released a trailer. And uh, how about we give the trailer a listen to right now? 
so very rare. So extraordinary. They survive the pain, the torture, and they refuse to die. He told me how perfect I was. That I was the one that they'd all been waiting for. Martyrs endure the unspeakable sins of the earth and transcend their very being. You are crazy. I sacrifice for knowledge. Rejoice in the suffering of thy child. Through her pain, may we truly know the mysteries that are yours. So, uh, judging by that preview, it looks to me like, uh, if the trailer can be trusted, <laughs> it looks to me like they're, uh, uh, they're going to focus on the, uh, I don't know what you call it, the science, the scientific cult, <laughs> and, uh, and what they're doing and how they create martyrs, or at least maybe the end result of the martyrs, a little more than uh, the original. So it looks like there is going to be a bit of a, a, a change in story, but that's okay. Uh, it might be an interesting film. I mean, the the whole concept behind Martyrs is interesting, <laughs> if not terrible and, and haunting and, you know, things that you just can't get out of your head. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it'll be really interesting to see what they do with this. I just hope it's good, whatever they do, and that it's... Uh, I don't know if you, fun would be the word, but at least watchable without completely scarring your soul. Alright, so let's move on to uh, the horror literature new releases. Now this is for the week of December 22nd or thereabouts. There are some that were released a little bit earlier, some that are going to be released a little later. Uh, from Permuted Press, we have Bad Men, and that's from the I Kill Monsters Book 3. Uh, and that's by Tony Monchinsky. We also have An Unkindness of Ravens, the Jabberwocky Book 2. And that is by Russell Proctor. From Severed Press, uh, we have Severed, a novel. And that is by V.L. Towler. We have The Zombie Wars, We All Fall Down, which is from the uh, White Flag series, book number 9. And that's by Joseph Taluto. And we also have uh, Spinosaurus, a dinosaur thriller by Hugo Navikov. From uh, Sinister Grin Press, we have Gardens of Babylon, and that's by Sarah Brooke. From Dark Views, this actually came out in... This one is weird, uh, and I'll get to that in a second. It's... Uh, it's a Children of Chaos by Greg F. Gaffin. Now, I'm not too sure if, if 
I always check dark views when, when I uh, when I do these uh, updates. And for the last few times, I don't remember this book being there. The book that's before it, I remember reporting, but this book, I don't remember being there. So I don't know if it's like maybe a problem with uh, Amazon's search engine. But this came out in November seventeenth, which is an exact month from now. So uh, that's weird. I don't know what happened there. Could have been just a glitch. Somebody forgot to type something in, or whatever. But there it is, Children of Chaos by Greg F. Giffune. And he's a former guest of the show, if you go to episode number one. And uh, you can hear him to talk about writing fiction and character development and all that, which he's a master of. Okay, so moving on to Dark Regions Press. We have Christmas Horror, Volume 1. And now, uh, there, this one has... Uh, this is a, an anthology, sort of, uh, sort of like I guess in the vein of uh, Dichotomy of Chris of Christmas, um, a bunch of uh, horror short stories about, or at least dark fiction about, uh, you know, Christmas. And here is the synopsis: introducing the new annual Dark Regions Press holiday anthology. Christmas Horror Volume 1 features all new and original stories from authors Joe R. Lansdale, John Skip, Cody Goodfellow, Jeff Strand, uh, J.F. Gonzalez, uh, Stephen Mark Rainey, Nate Southard, Shane McKenzie, and uh, in the deluxe hardcover retail editions only, William Meikle. So, uh... Oh, each story also has uh, a full-page, full-bleed color illustration by artist Zach McCain. So that's pretty. It's pretty freaking cool. Um, and as mentioned, there's a, a lot of uh, a lot of really well-known authors in here. There's not really any any that uh, that uh, you wouldn't know if you were into this at all. All right. So uh, from the same producer, which was. Uh, Dark Regions Press. We also have... uh, Where is it? We also have Walls of the Castle. And this is by Tom Piccarilli and uh, the late Tom Piccarilli, I should say, and Chris Morey. And here is the synopsis for this one. From four-time winner of the Bram Stoker Award, two-time winner of the International Thriller Writers Award, and finalist for the 2009 Edgar Allan Poe Award, Tom Piccarilli, uh, comes an intense and visceral psychological thriller novella, uh, the first title in the Black Labyrinth imprint illustrated illustrated by world-renowned artist Santiago Caruso. Uh, It's an atmospheric yet action-packed mature psychological thriller that is part examination into the bonds of family and part uh, treatise on uh, the nature of identity. The Walls of the Castle explores the deepest areas of what makes us who we are. With a noir sensibility and complexity of character, this novella is a hybrid psychological thriller that's part suspense tale, part family saga, and part literate mystery. Features original color of... Uh, original color front cover artwork and four original black and white interior illustrations by uh, that artist Santiago Caruso and uh, you know I don't know 
who Chris Murray is. <laughs> I don't know if he helped write it or not, but there you have it, The Walls of the Castle. And uh, so that is that. Um, not too many releases in and around Christmas that I could find, uh, except for, of course, what Fiona, Dodwell, and I are, are going to talk about right after we get back from these brief uh, messages. Like Darkness Dwells? Well, why don't you help out the show? The easiest way to do so is to sign on to your iTunes account, rate and review the Darkness Dwells podcast, and we will forever, forever love you for it. And as always, thank you for listening. The Good Book warns us to beware of false prophets. With all their signs and wonders. But even if you believe God can heal like lightning, in the end, not even your faith can save you. Revival. New from Stephen King. Hammer Film Productions began in 1934, and after producing almost 200 films and television programs, the studio is still releasing and re-releasing new and classic film titles. 1951 Downplace is the podcast that brings you the story of the great Hammer films, one movie at a time. Here are your hosts, describing what Hammer means to them. First is Casey. Hammer means the beautiful and glamorous women of Hammer Horror, the engaging storytelling, and amazing period films. Joining him is Derek. Hammer means the incredible work of actors like Peter Cushing, Christopher Lee, and even Michael Ripper. The gothic storytelling, the incredible music, and the set pieces. And finally, here's Scott. Um, well, Hammer means how to get a nail into a block of wood. This boy has a lot to learn. Join our hosts as they make their journey through the Hammer Films catalogue and discuss each film with critical opinion, historical facts, production notes and other information about these classic films. 1951 Downplace can be found in iTunes or their website www.1951downplace.com Should I have said Hammer Pants? 1951 Downplace, the home of Hammer Films discussion. Welcome back. As promised, uh, we have a very special guest on the show this week. Um, she's the author of, uh, of many books, <laughs> uh, including The Banishing, uh, The Obsessed Nails, and The Shift, and the upcoming, uh, Juniper's Shadow. Welcome to the show, Fiona. Hi. Hi. Thank you very much for having me on the show. I've been looking forward to it. You are uh, my first guest that I've had on the show who's uh, from across the pond. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. No pressure, then. I've got to represent us quite well. <laughs> oh, I'm, you'll do fine, I'm sure. Um, 
So one thing I like to do when I talk to uh, other writers on the show is I like to learn a little bit about them because you, you sort of get an idea of who uh, the author is when you and what they like to write about when you get to know the person a little bit behind the words. So uh, so why don't you tell us where you're from? Okay, I'm from um, Devon in the UK. Um, so it's a quite a small county just just by the sea. It's a pretty beautiful spot. I've lived here for a few years now with my husband because his family are all from this area. So um, we settled here a few years ago. Um, oh. About three years now, actually, we've been here. So um, it's going pretty good. I feel settled here now. It feels like home. So yeah, um, yeah, enjoy it. Uh, where were you uh, raised? I lived in originally in, in a place called Milton Keynes, which is just literally an hour from London. Um, oh. So it's a bit more of a that was a bit more of a city feel, a bit more industrial. But here in Devon, it's it's very rural. There's lots of um, landscape, sea. Um, it's very kind of peaceful, um, very different kind of way of life. But it, it suits me, the, the kind of person I am, and, and I like solitude and I like peace. And it really yes. suits my writing, and and so that's probably why I feel really at home here. Yeah. So so you like it better where you are now? Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I miss family back in Milton Keynes. So there's a lot of things I miss about it, but in terms of the area, I feel very uh, very happy here in Devon. So yeah. I can see myself staying here for for quite some time now. Yeah. Uh, so what was it like growing up uh, in your hometown? Um. To be honest, um, probably sounds quite strange, but because I was always um, quite a solitary person, I was always obsessed with reading um, and writing and, and watching horror films. I was very much like in my own world, so it's almost like I could have been anywhere. Um, yeah. And I would always just kind of be really in my own escapism. And um, so, like, I had friends and I got on well at school. Um, Things like that, you know. I had a pretty, pretty average um, upbringing. I have brother and sister, um, but most of my time was literally spent either writing or reading and getting really involved in the creative things, even from quite a young age. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, were you like the only only person you knew uh, from around where you grew up uh, who was into horror like that? I think to the extreme that I was into it, probably. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I mean, I did, um, like, growing up when I was a child, if we had, like, parties or get-togethers or sleepovers, um, I was always the one that people were just like, oh, I hope she doesn't start telling her ghost stories or putting on one of her horror films because I'd definitely <laughs> freak everyone out. So, um, I mean, I, I enjoyed that a lot, but I'm not sure that so many of my friends did. So, <laughs> it was, yeah, if there was a time and a place for it, I was, I was often um, keeping them awake and scaring them, but it's not always <laughs> what they wanted, so... Yeah, uh, uh, my wife, she she's not a big fan of horror movies. Um, like I, I pretty much grew up the same way in that in that regard. That you yeah. know, I was I was the only one who was really into horror, and uh, my wife she hates she well she hates horror. It, it it disturbs her on like a different level than like you know you and I we we like the thrill, right? Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And she doesn't like the thrill, so oh. so Does she's always. Do you watch these films with you, or do you watch them alone then? I typically watch them alone, yeah. Yeah. But uh, uh, but yeah, I've I've tormented her more <laughs> more than one occasion. <laughs> so uh, did you read a lot as a kid? Um, definitely. Um, 
it's like some of my um, earliest memories of of my childhood or of reading and getting into books and um, spending time at the library. Um, I can't remember. I couldn't say I can pinpoint a time when I got into like reading and, and books, but um, I just remember being very young and I became obsessed with um, the Point Horror Collection for children and teens. Um, mm-hmm. So I used to buy like R.L. Stein's books and um, some of the Goosebump titles when I was younger. Um, and that, that was... Um, probably what kicked off my obsession with horror um because from there as i was a teenager i then got into um like the more adult horror like stephen king and dean Koontz, um susan hill um so yeah right through right through all the years i've I've been reading um it's the biggest part of my uh, life really so I, I, yeah i found it interesting that you you mentioned susan hill um, she's the author of uh, The Woman in Black, right? That's right, yeah. Yeah, Yeah. that's that's fascinating because I, I love that movie, but I can't find the book anywhere. <laughs> really? Yeah. Uh, she's uh, she's from uh, the same country as you, though, right? She is, yeah. Um, and I pretty much tell everybody who, who asks me who my influences are, uh, you know, Susan Hill is one of them, definitely. Um even just for that one title alone, and um, that had such a big impact on me. Um, yeah. When I was growing up, like I, I absolutely loved the book. I remember being quite young when I first read that, and then it was a regular read from then on. One of those favourite ones that you keep going back to. Yeah. Um, and then there was the the TV production of it over here, and then there was the Daniel Radcliffe um, movie adaptation as well. So I've liked all its, um, you know, the way it's evolved in different mediums. But I've I've yeah. always loved Susan Hill's work. Um, one of my favorites definitely yeah I, i've seen both those adaptations as well uh i really love the story um but I, I i'm a stickler for uh getting my hands on an actual book yeah definitely. and uh, i can't find like well i could probably find a copy if i looked hard enough but it's but yeah that's definitely yeah something out i think has she written much more um she has she's written a lot of um traditional ghost stories which is probably why I love her so much because you know um, as you probably know like from my books a lot of what I do is paranormal and creepy and and ghostly I like that side of horror so um, that's probably why I like her so much she has several titles um, that are in that kind of category and then she also has a series that are um, a crime fiction so I'm not so much into the the crime novels, although I've read a few of them and they are good, but it's definitely the horror that I'm more, um, no, the paranormal anyway, that I'm more yeah. into. Yeah. So yeah, speaking of, of, of speaking of horror, your Amazon profile says that you're uh, very passionate about horror. Um, so when would you say that, can you pinpoint, I, I actually you said you couldn't pinpoint it. Um, was it a gradual thing then that, uh, that you fell in love with horror? I think the reason, um, I think the main reason why I say I can't pinpoint it is because I just don't remember the time when I started to like horror. Um, I mean, my very earliest memory, probably going way back, was probably when I was about five years old and um, my brother had on a copy of Stephen King's Pet Cemetery um, on VHS. Uh. (laughs) Going back a bit, that was on on a video and obviously I wasn't supposed to watch it. It was my brother, he was a teenager at the time and he had it on. And I think I remember just, like, my parents probably didn't realise, but I caught a few scenes of that, and I just remember being <laughs> really gripped by it. Um, 
Yeah. Which is kind of disturbing in a way, in a way, because I, I remember it really vividly, like watching the scenes, and I just I just remember there was something about it that kind of really drew me in. So um, that's probably like my really earliest memory of horror. Um, yeah. That. Go ahead. Pr- pretty pretty strong memory of it. Yeah. Um, and then it just it grew from there. I think because of that memory of the Stephen King film, I I started reading his books and. I started to write my own um, creepy stories at school for friends, and I think it just kind of grew from there. You know, it's really, really hard to just say a, a very definite point when it began. Yeah, um, but the reason why I ask is because I well, people who love horror uh, fascinate me probably because I myself love horror. Uh, I always wonder, like, why? <laughs> why do yeah. we love this stuff? You know. I know it's it's a strange thing, isn't it? Because it's so morbid. Um, it is, mm. and we like dwell on this stuff. But uh, there's other people who look at us as though we're insane. Yeah, definitely. But but uh, I think we're a special type of person, to be honest. I mean, we can look at things uh, that most people are afraid to look at. Mm, definitely, it's like bringing up the darkest part of humanity and being able to kind of really look and examine it. Um, exactly. Yeah. And I, I find that fascinating as well. Um, I think maybe that's why there's some judgments um, out there as well on, on horror. Um, oh, yeah, for sure. I remember, this is going back quite a few years ago now, I worked um, when I was back in Milton Keynes and I worked in a, an acute psychiatric ward. Um, and I got into a really deep discussion with another nurse there about um, my writing and... And I remember her saying, oh, there's got to be something quite wrong or disturbed about someone who writes <laughs> horror. And I remember that really struck me because I thought, how funny that someone would make that judgment because if people were to know me personally, yeah. they'd know that I'm just really friendly and, and laid back and bubbly and like that I'm not hiding any psycho, psycho tendencies under there. <laughs> so, <laughs> so everyone's quite safe around me. But for some yeah. reason, that, that darkness and that... Um, creepiness just just kind of really caused me in for some reason I, I can't I can't quite understand it myself but um, I find it fascinating yeah me too um, and I can never get enough like I, I go through periods where you know you're just a little bit bored of the genre but it never lasts long and mm-hmm. you're right back into it again yeah definitely. so uh, when did you start taking writing seriously when did you say okay this is when I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this and because writing a novel is not easy, as I'm sure you know. Yeah, um, no, it's not easy, really. I mean, I, I always knew that I wanted to write, and I remember being at school, probably about the age of 11, and talking to one of my teachers, and they said, what do you want to do when you're older? And I and I said straight away, I want to be a writer. Um, and then you get that look, don't you? You get when you're younger and you talk to an adult, and they say, well, what are you really going to do? You know, because it's not yeah. a real job, you know. Um but so I did know it from way back then what I wanted to do but I think if I had to say a time where I took it to the next level and took it really seriously it was probably around 2010 when I started to plan um, The Banishing um, because that was my first full length novel um, Mm -hmm. and that was the year that I started writing it and I got really involved in it really engrossed in it and of course there were challenges as well um but I I really enjoyed the process of it, and then thankfully it was it was published in 2011 by Damson yeah. Books. So and that kind of I think having that first novel published was a was a big thing for me because it gives you 
gives you validation in a way that you're doing something that that's worthwhile and it kind of motivates you then to go on to the next project, you know. Um, yeah, exactly. So um, I, I think it, it was pretty much having the, the success with the first one that helped kind of boost me on to, to keep going with it. So. Well, that's, that's good. Uh, speaking of the banishing, um, can you tell us a little bit, uh, excuse me, a little bit about that book and uh, what it's about for uh, listeners? Yeah, um, this book, um, it's, it involves a genre of horror that probably most people think has been done a lot, and that's um, demonic possession. Um, but I tried to do something different with it. Um, it focuses on a marriage between a, a young couple called Melissa and Mark. Um, and Melissa starts to notice that her husband is really changing, and he's becoming quite um, angry and irritable, and his personality is changing, and he's becoming quite violent. So through so much of the book we're exploring his behaviour and, and she's wondering is this just his true self coming through and is this just a case of domestic violence and is she in denial um, and then she questions the paranormal aspect you know, or, or is he possessed, is he being influenced by something, by a dark energy um, and I really, really explored both themes in the book because I wanted it to be largely up to the reader, I wanted them to read it and think is this a mental disorder is he ill? Is he just a really nasty piece of work? Or is he actually possessed by something and is this beyond his control? So it does explore the theme of possession, but it, I try and go much deeper with it and try and use a lot of psychological um, knowledge that I had and try to, to put a different spin on it. I tried to make it as original as I could with, with the theme that's obviously been done so much, you know? Yeah. So... It was fun to write. I, I really enjoyed that one. Um, yeah. And I had so so ma- many readers um, give me good feedback on it. And um, yeah, I, I remember writing that one fondly. It was, it was um, a really enjoyable project to write. So. That's good. Um, do you find, uh, just to step aside here, that books or stories that come out really easy are your best stories, or or the ones that you struggle with are they the best ones? Um, that's a good question. <laughs> um, I'm not sure, to be honest, what the answer is, because sometimes I'll write something and I'll think, oh, this just feels really right, and it's really just feels like it's going to be a really strong project, and then I might get feedback from readers that I send it to, and then I might have to make a lot of changes, or <laughs> other times yeah. I might write something within one day, and then it'll get absolutely fantastic response. Yeah. So it doesn't seem to be like an actual true answer to it if you know what I mean yeah. it's kind of different from project to project but I know for me as a writer the best feeling in the world is when you sit down and um, with a story in your head and it just flows so easily that it's it's just pouring onto the pages and you you don't even feel like you have to think about it too much it just feels like it comes naturally and when that happens it feels really that, yeah. that feels like when the magic happens because it almost feels like it's writing itself um, yeah and that makes it a real a real pleasure um, to do, and and it almost at times takes me by surprise as a writer because I'll feel like things are coming out in the story that even I hadn't planned on. Um, yeah. So that's that's my favourite part of the process when that happens, when the story just flows so easily. You know. Me too. I love that because it, it's almost it's almost like a supernatural thing on its own because it uh, because. Like when you write a long piece of fiction, like a novel, 
size story and it just flows out of you so easily you gotta wonder <laughs> yeah. like how how am I pu- uh, putting point A to B uh, to C all the way to Z without even really you know um, uh, having to struggle thinking about it so much yeah uh, I it's just like love that feeling too. It? It really yeah, is. it is. Um, <laughs> it reminds me of. Um, I'm quite a big fan of Tori Amos, the singer, and I remember she once um, spoke about writing music, and she said it was almost like you were transcribing from another level, like it was being given to her, and she was transcribing it from somewhere yes. else, that it would flow that easily. So, um, it just must must be one of those magic things that you, that, you know you're blessed with now and then, I suppose, as someone who's creative. Yeah, it's uh, it's a nice feeling, and, and it's also kind of rare. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's a shame we're not all that that easy. <laughs> yeah. So uh, next for you, uh, if I'm got my information correct here, uh, in the same year you uh, also published the Obsessed. That's right. Yeah. Um, that was. Pub- yeah, it was actually published in the same year um, with the same publishers. Um, they really enjoyed the banishing, and they they said to me that they wanted me to submit my next project when it was ready. Um, so that was obsessed, um, and that was a bit different for me. Um, it was about a, a a man who worked in London, and he um, he was a train driver. And one day when he was doing one of his journeys, um, a man jumps onto the tracks and commits suicide. It's a tragedy that does happen in real life. And um, mm-hmm. there were several news items that probably inspired that back at, back when I was writing it. But in the story, my character, he becomes obsessed with this man that killed himself. And he starts to want to look into his life and he wants to understand what can drive a man to kill himself, what can be so bad that somebody would want to end their own life. Um, and this, this driver, he, he, he quits his job and his whole life becomes about, you know, this, this man, this mysterious figure, why did he do it, what was wrong with him? And he, the deeper he gets into the victim's life, um, the more obsessed he gets, um, hence the title. And I, I don't want to give any spoilers away for anyone that will read it, um, but... Um, he does discover that there is a link between the man that killed himself and and my central character, and there is a, a link back in the past, and mm. their lives cross cross in quite a dark way. So, um, yeah, so it's very different from the from the banishing, but it's still got the same dark paranormal themes, you know. Yeah, well, it's good to you know uh, have a variation on uh, on theme, I think. And uh, so it, I think it's good that you went that way. You didn't like try to, uh, you know, try to piggyback the uh, the success that you found with banishing. That you went sort of in a, a different direction. Still very dark material, but yeah. But uh, and but you know, it's a wise choice. I think you're going to find uh, readers will appreciate that. I think at least, anyways, in in the yeah. future. Oh, yeah, I hope so. I do like to um, explore different themes, and that's one of the great things about writing is there are no limits like where you can take your imagination it can go in so many places that I don't want to ever feel like I'm restricting myself or, or treading over old material so yeah um, so I'm quite wary of that when I write so I have that worry too because I do tend to if I if I don't think about it too hard I do tend to repeat myself so right. uh, 
I have to uh, think, okay, let's go in a different direction here because I've done this a thousand times. <laughs> yeah, well, I think that's the main the main thing. I think as long as you're self-aware, then then it it won't be a problem because I think yeah. if you're if you're looking for it, then you won't make that mistake. Um, yeah. So, so uh, in researching you, I noticed I noticed that there was a gap between 2011 and 2015 uh, where nothing novel length, anyways, was released. Is that is that correct? Um, in 2013, um, I released The Shift, which was um, a full length, which was released with Double Dragon. Ah, uh, okay. Um, Double Dragon Publishing. Um, so, yes, yeah, so there was a couple of couple of years gap, but not quite um, as much as you thought. But um, yeah, uh, the shift was listed sorry. as uh, d- sorry. The shift was listed as uh, actually December 18th of this year. So just. Yesterday. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah, so they must have, like, re-released, like, a, an e-copy or something. I think, um, yeah, it's probably my fault for not being clear. I mean, with the shift, when it was originally released, um, there was a f- just a few um, issues going on with me at the time, and I wasn't able to devote as much time to promoting it. Um, and I felt like I was really proud of the project, but I wasn't able to um, give it the time that I had my previous books for promotion. Mm-hmm. So... I approached my um, publishers there and said, "This is a book I believe in, but it's been neglected for, for personal reasons. Can we can we give it a fresh boost?" So they were able to give me an, a brand new cover, and they released a, a, a paperback version of that and um, mm. some fresh edits to it as well for additional scenes. So it's probably they've changed a few things and then added that new date in there. So. Um, that's probably why it looks it looks like there was nothing written between those years yeah um, so what is the shift about um, this 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 book was um, probably my most challenging um, it's been my longest um, novel and it was also the most challenging but I am proud of it and I, I feel like the response I've had from the people that have read it have been really positive um, it's um about a young man um, called Michael who he's just come out of a marriage and um, he's feeling a bit down on his luck he's unemployed he's living in a one bedroom grotty flat and he's feeling just a bit like he's going nowhere so he's quite depressed and then he just see, sees this advert for a, a job in a care home um, so he he applies for this job and basically the shift explores all these unusual things that happen when he's working there um, so there are massive twists in the story. It's very. I've tried to use a lot of my knowledge from when I used to work in psychiatry in this story. So I, I like to feel like I've given the story a lot of depth, and um, it's certainly not straightforward. There's a lot of layers and um, many twists as well. Um, so yeah, I, ho- I hope that now I've I've got a chance to promote that title again and and um, bring it to some new readers. It'll be interesting to to get some feedback on that one. Yeah, that one sounds uh, really interesting to me because uh, I can <laughs> I can kind of identify with the main character sometimes. <laughs> really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but I think we've all been there, though. You know, That's um, true. Yeah. where you're just in that dark place and and it just feels like nothing's happening and mm-hmm. uh, you're just kind of depressed, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so uh, in October of 2015, this year, uh, you released Nails. Yeah. Which we which Rocco uh reviewed on the show earlier. 
and uh, and he he loved it, and I'm I love it too. It's it's a fascinating read. So can you tell us a bit about that? Yeah, um, nails was it was a lot of fun to write this one. Um, it centers on a, a young girl called Carla, and she's not so confident. She's been felt like she's had a an upbringing where she's been overprotected by her parents and. Um, so she's not had the most independence or confidence. And um, Nails, in the story, it begins with her moving out of the family home and trying to build a life of her own. So we follow her as she rents this new place and spends her first nights there. And um, as all great horror stories like to do, they like to mess things around (laughs) and ruin things for people. So um, Carla starts to wonder is there something wrong with this place because just something doesn't feel right and these odd things keep happening um, and the people around her they they make her second second guess herself because they're telling her well actually this is the first time you've lived alone you're probably feeling a bit nervous you don't have have a lot of um, experience of being alone and um, she starts to wonder well perhaps they're right but as the story progresses we see that that doesn't quite explain everything so um, the more that we get into the story, the more we see that there's something quite sinister about where she's living. Um, I like to think that it's not too traditional because I've tried to play around with the theme of, of hauntings. Um, yeah. I tried to not go down the, a stereotypical route. I've tried to change it. Um, and I've also tried, which I don't know if it... I like to think it works, um, but I've tried to not make it so dramatic. I really wanted it to be subtle and um, a quiet horror story. I wanted it to be subtle enough that if someone's reading it, they could feel like, well, actually, this happens to me at home quite a lot. And I wanted it to to have that kind of low-key aspect to it where it felt like this could happen to anybody at any time in their own home. so it's not a story that's really dramatic and, and full of um, major um, crazy things happening. It's it's more of a shadowy, unnerving story. And I hope that that's what will get under people's skin when they're reading the story. And that's, yeah, that's what I hoped for when I, when I wrote it. So Yeah, uh, at that really works too I, I, I say I would say that you pulled that off really well because there's some really creepy scenes in that uh, book <laughs> oh great that's good to hear and uh, you know creeping uh, writing creepy scenes is not uh, easy to do in fact most people most writers including some of the the masters can't do it uh, they only achieve it maybe every once in a while you know what I mean so yeah, yeah kudos <laughs> you did oh, really thank good you. thank you you're welcome. Um, so next came. Uh, uh, now I'm assuming this is a short story, the Redwood Lodge investigation. Yes, yes, it's a short story. Um, this um, this kind of um, kind of came to me because I've been watching a lot of found footage horror films. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been watching a lot of um, films like um, the Blair Witch Project and the Conspiracy. Um, because I love those those films. I know they're not everybody's favourite type of horror films, but I quite like the found footage um, genre in horror. And mm-hmm. and it just got me thinking one night, wouldn't it be good to write a book where somebody's questioning, is this real, is this authentic? Um, so I tried to borrow from certain legends that 
I came across online and then I created two characters that were exchanging these events through emails to each other. Mm-hmm. So the actual format of the story is literally these two people that are friends exchanging emails. So um, I tried to mess around with with the delivery of the story um, and the narrative and I, I tried to do something a bit a bit different with it. So I felt like it was me trying to do my equivalent of, of the Blair Witch Project by presenting something that could potentially be real. So yeah. um, I'm not sure yeah. how well that was pulled off. I did have some readers ask me if it was all true. <laughs> so that was pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. I had somebody ask me um, if I could tell them where it was based because they're pretty sure that they've heard of it themselves. So <laughs> once you know you're sort of creating your own urban legend, you feel like you're onto something, don't you? <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. Um, that's actually kind of funny because when I was looking it up and reading it, I was like, okay, is this real? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's what I really wanted to do. I wanted to take, um, take a story and, and kind of get under people's um, skin by making them think, actually, do I know yeah, this place or have I heard this before or, you know. I also find uh, the topic for this uh, story uh, fascinating because I wanted, there's a a short story idea running in my head where, because like you, actually, I I really like the uh, found footage uh, format of of movies. Now, there's a lot of people out there who really don't, and Mm -hmm. to be honest with you, when when I'm reading the back of a movie and I find out it's a found footage movie, I, I typically groan inside. You know what I mean? Yeah. You're like, oh god, I don't know if I can do this. <laughs> but uh, but then you put it in, and if it's any good, um, found footage films can really draw you in like nothing else. Definitely. Because because it, it it forces you to suspend your disbelief more so than watching a movie because because you're watching documentary type uh, you know uh, a format and. Uh, I don't know. So, you know, I've been wanting to do the same thing. And, uh, you know, like through uh, documents, letters, um, transcribed audio notes and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And, so there's uh, so many potentials for it, isn't there, to, to try exactly. and do that Exactly. It, it's sort of like uh, collecting all this stuff to make a, a, a sort of like a Dracula book. Because Dracula was all like journal entries and, and letters, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, you could al- almost say that that's the first found <laughs> found footage yeah. book, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, definitely. But uh, so yeah, I've been w- wanting to do that myself. So I find that really uh, really interesting. Yeah. So I think it uh, could work on so many levels. Um, oh, it could. And mm-hmm. then, like you said, you, you're going to be creating people who will question, like, is this stuff real? <laughs> yeah, and that's a yeah. great feeling, isn't it? Because you, that's really what you want to do when you create something. You want to really draw into somebody else's mind and psychology and really play play on, yeah. on their mind so that's a great thing to do exactly so christmas day this year well we both have a pretty big day we do. on that one it's uh it's my first book release party <laughs> yeah and uh and it's well i guess it's your what uh fourth fifth um I think, uh, <laughs> even, yeah, I um, I think it's the fifth, actually. Yeah, yeah it's the yeah. fifth, yeah, because the Redwood is a short story. Yeah. But, yeah, so, and also Michael Bray is going to be with us, uh, and Albert uh, Kivak, I think is how you pronounce it. Okay. Uh, with their book, The Void, but your book is uh, Juniper's Shadow. Uh, this is a book I want to read because, uh, well, I'm a big music fan. I love music, and I really like the idea behind this book. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about that? 
Um, yeah, definitely. Um, Juniper's Shadow, um, that was one of the moments that we discussed earlier where you feel like you have an idea for a story and then you sit down to write it and then it just feels like it floods onto the page. Um, yeah. It just felt like one of those times where it was writing itself. Um, um, basically, um, it follows a, a guy called Leighton and he is just um, starting out on a music business. He wants to run a music store um, by selling like retro vinyl and rare albums and um, he's very passionate about music um, and he's he's got a a wife and she's expecting a child and she's actually the main break like the main breadwinner in the family so mm-hmm. he's got this um confidence crisis like is he doing the right thing his wife's bringing all this money she's pregnant and here i am sort of messing around with what most people would think is a hobby um so we sort of get into his um mentality and and how he got to that place um and he goes to a music um a music memorabilia fair one day and he finds a, a record that's in a blank sleeve, there's no label on it, um, and it just looks a bit unusual. And he asks the guy at the table, what is this record? And the guy says it's Juniper's Shadow. And he said, nobody knows a lot about the guy who made this music, but it's it's said to be a cursed piece of music. Um, and of course our main character sort of smirks and says, well, that's ridiculous. And it would make a great addition to my store so he, he pays for it and he brings it home um, and then essentially the rest of the story is an exploration of of the curse around, surrounding this music um, as Leighton starts to examine the history and the composer and um, and how this music was written and what happened to the audiences when they attended to these um, concerts in Germany um, he goes right back into the history and he starts to actually believe himself that this music is that there's something about it and it's it's there's just something wrong about it um so i won't spoil what he finds out or how how that story ends but it's basically that the horror of the story is is how that music affects people who listen to it so um it, it was one i really really did enjoy writing and i'm really really keen to sort of get some feedback on that I'm hoping that it will be well received with people um, so far I've had some good reviews for it so I'll be uh, excited to see how that is when it's released at Christmas for our launch so yeah which will be interesting um, uh, I've only had one launch before and that was for this podcast um, so it will be uh, I think a lot of fun yeah definitely I've not I've not done a a launch online before myself either so it'll be <laughs> a learning curve but it'll also be great to interact with, with our readers and to get some some prizes together to, to uh, do some competitions and it should be a good a good um, day oh it should be so uh, tell me a little bit about media bitch and how did you get involved with them um well uh, as you know i've been writing for quite a few years and i knew that i wanted to take it to the next level um and I, I thought that that would be more attainable if I had representation. So um, I started look around, looking around online at different um, literary agencies, and then I came across Media Bitch. Um, so I contacted Keith, Keith Chalga, who runs who runs it, and he read a few samples of my work, and he was he was really keen um, on what he read, and he offered me a contract. So um, that was a few months ago now. So. I've been working with him and um, 
with Vicky and Debbie, who also are agents with, with Media Bitch. And um, I've really enjoyed working with them, and I feel like it's been a really good move for me um, because it's quite... It's quite a big world, the publishing world, and it's not always easy to know what to do or where to send the work to or or even to keep yourself motivated sometimes. So when you have a, a team behind you sort of helping you and guiding you and encouraging you, and um, it really goes a long way to have that um, yeah. foundation with you. So, um, so yeah, I'm re- really happy to be with them. They've been fantastic, and I, I think because of them I'll have a lot of things to look forward to in 2016 um, so fingers crossed yeah um, me being with them like I met Keith actually on Goodreads uh, he joined a, a group that I was moderating there at the time called Horror Fictionados okay and uh, we were talking uh, you know through PMs and whatnot, and on the group forum itself and uh, he he, I sent him one of my, uh, well, my short story collection, and and he uh, said, all right, let's work together. And so I've been with him. So I think it's around 2012, maybe really? maybe a bit later than that. But yeah, uh, he's a he's he's a really interesting guy. <laughs> he is, yeah, um, he he is. He's great to to work with, and he he's got an absolute um, love and passion for horror. Um, oh yes, himself. So um, he's definitely on the same wavelength. He's got a dark mind like the rest of us, so... Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely has the dark mind. Yeah. (laughs) And he's not shy about it at all. No, and he's also worked on some amazing projects in film and... Yes, yes. And obviously with the anthology that that was released. Um, Yes, the Dichotomy of Christmas. That we're both featured in. Mm Mm-hmm, yeah. With that too, I think that um, having Keith Keith behind us, it will really sort of really give us some good guidance and um, a lot to look forward to definitely yeah for sure mm-hmm. uh, I'm really excited for the future uh, honestly working with him because there's he keeps coming up with this stuff this, these things he'll just shoot it out there oh uh, we're going to be working with this guy in the future what? you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> definitely yeah <coughs> that's the thing um, it's just there are some amazing things that Keith has mentioned. So for people who are reading our, our work and our books, then it's it's not projects that we can necessarily name at the moment, but it's definitely worth saying to people that are fans of horror to keep an eye on Media Bitch because I think there are going to be some uh, really exciting things coming up in the future. Um, yeah, So I'm, I'm so happy to be a part of that. So. Me too. And I, I, you know, I can't wait to uh, get things going. Uh, Christmas Day should be interesting. So, uh, tell me, where can readers find you online? Um, good question. <laughs> Mine's <laughs> gone blank now. Um, that happens, eh? Yeah. Okay, well, I have I a threw Twitter. threw you a curveball. <laughs> <laughs> well, I do have um, a Twitter account, um, and that's angel underscore devil 982. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I'm on Facebook. So, on the Facebook search engine if you um, put in Fiona Dodwell author it should link you to my main author page on Facebook and I also run a blog on WordPress um, it's called studyparanormal.wordpress.com and that is a bit of a mishmash of things I mean I have a page a section on there for my books and my articles and writing but I also have um, features on um, 
interviews and reviews um just sort of like a mishmash all across things from horror and paranormal um because I, I have done courses as well on exorcism and demonology so i do write quite a few posts and articles and those sorts of things as well that's really cool so um if people have a more broad general interest in in those kind of subjects then that might be a, a web page to check out at some point so. for sure so um that's uh, it we are running out of time okay. uh thanks fiona for being on the show it was a lot of fun thank you thank you for having me on the show i really enjoyed it um and um i'll be hoping that we'll get a lot of people onto the launch on christmas yes actually it's uh the i just want to clarify that the uh the facebook par- uh, launch party is on boxing day our books uh my book uh, the haunted country michael brays and albert kivak's the void and fiona's book uh juniper shadow are all released on christmas day but the party for that is the next day on boxing day and yes. you can find it uh fairly easily you could probably find it just by looking up media bitch and it <laughs> and yeah. yes you heard right it's media bitch <laughs> <laughs> it's one of those names that will stick with you it's not easy to forget so yeah so so please come along uh, boxing day and uh and win some free things and yeah. there's a lot of th- there's going to be a lot of uh uh, a lot of uh, uh prizes to be won and uh signed books and all that fun stuff so definitely so, yeah there'll be a lot so of lots of things that are up for grabs so yeah exactly so uh, i can't wait to see you then on there uh fiona yeah and you too all right so and i hope you have a good good christmas yeah you too thank you <laughs> thank you Something's up with Jack, something's up with Jack Don't know if we're ever going to get him back He's all alone up there, locked away inside Never says a word, hope he hasn't died Something's up with Jack, something's up with Jack Christmas time is buzzing in my skull Will it let me be? I cannot tell There are so many things I cannot grasp When I think I've got it, then at last Through my bony fingers That is the show for this week. Thank you, as always, for listening. Um, uh, stay tuned, because uh, before, before Christmas, you might get a bonus episode. A Christmas present, if you will. Of uh, of another radio play and maybe even a fireside reading, and so uh, if you want to contact the show, in the meantime, you can uh, do so by uh, you can email us at darknestwells74 at gmail dot com. You can uh, like our page on Facebook, which is at www.facebook.com slash darkness where darkness dwells. And uh, speaking of that name, you can uh, visit us online. And uh, check out our blog. You can do that by uh, clicking or typing into your address bar, www.wheredarknessdwells.com. And uh, that's it. Thanks again for listening. We have some really awesome shows coming up. And don't forget to attend the uh, the Facebook uh, and Goodreads 
a book launch party for for my book, The Haunted Country, Fiona Dodwell's book, Juniper's Shadow, and uh, Michael Bray and Albert Kivak's book, The Void. So you can check that out on uh, on Facebook and Goodreads. So until next time, good night. And sweet dreams. I can make a Christmas tree, and there's no reason I can buy. I couldn't have a Christmas time. I bet I could improve it too, and that's exactly what I'll do. <laughs> Eureka! I've got it! <laughs> <laughs>